Welcome everyone to our latest NCAA social series. I'm Andy Katz for this edition of our show. We're going to talk about one of the hottest topics in college athletics, NIL, that is name, image, and likeness with Linda Teeler. She is the executive associate athletic director at the University of Florida. Also for these purposes, the chair of the division one NIL task force and Ryan Cassidy, a former football player at Rutgers graduated in 21 with a degree in economics and Ryan uh, as a member of the uh, SAC for D1 uh, you had a student voice on this issue um, let's start with the student here uh, the former student Ryan uh, first before we go into the changes um, I just want to go back a little bit and then get your opinion Linda on just the overall entrance of NIL into the conversation for college athletes obviously you were not able to benefit as much as others uh, if at all uh, because of when you finished your uh, your career what did you think of when this even started a year ago yeah, and yeah that's a great question first off really really glad to be back on the social series joining us for you said it a very hot topic and something that has been frankly I believe long overdue and the collegiate athletic model has changed so drastically just over the course of the last few years. And originally the goal was to simply get recruited, go to your institution while competing in the sport you love and get your degree along the way in an environment where you can feel safe, protected and included. And that model is now unbelievably outdated. And yes, the goal is most definitely still to get recruited, play your sport, enjoy yourself, gain your degree, but that has never been enough. And we all as athletes feel that NIL has been the most outdated element of it all because it is it's a basic human right not just an athlete right to be able to monetize who you are what you do what you work for and what you stand for um, and with the adoption of NIL it, it will never go away at this point it should never go away but there needs to be a way to urgently protect the integrity of our sports the integrity of recruiting the integrity of NIL because the intention of it all and um, all anyone wants in this regard is to give every single student athlete that same opportunity and that same prosperous landscape. Um, and, and frankly, I'm, I'm jealous of all the student athletes that have taken advantage of it. However, it's fantastic to see um, all these athletes really follow their passions and build their brands. So Linda, uh, you and I are, are in a similar age bracket here and covered college athletics for decades here going back to your time at usd or texas and 17 years at florida uh, how would you describe the evolution of this topic in your time and tenure in college athletics yeah i, I will definitely agree that the nil opportunity is really long overdue i'm not sure there's anybody that disagrees with that student athletes being able to monetize their name image and likeness like every student on campus um, long overdue, and we're here. And I, I think universally um, that concept is embraced. People are ready for it, supportive. Um, I think we found ourselves, you know, once the, the wheels started turning with NIL to, to understand, you know what, there's a lot of different definitions. The landscape um, maybe is different in ways we didn't really anticipate. So, you know, here comes this work um, from the directive, from the presidents to really take a look and see if there's some guidance we can give. But the opportunity itself, um, I'll agree, is, is fundamental. It's key to a student experience, whether you're a student athlete or a student um, that's a drama in drama or 
um, film or you know whatever it is that you do on, on your campus. So it's fundamental. We're in a good place. Um, I just think there's um, some confusion and clarity that's needed. And that's really to the benefit of student athletes as well as institutions, coaches, administrators, kind of the whole enterprise. So look, we, we knew that there was going to be a little bit of an adjustment period, a uh, couple of twists and turns when this happened last summer. Uh, initially, there was this huge rush uh, to sign up uh, individuals in all sports, um, men, women, uh, high profile, low profile. It was going across the country. And then as we saw in the fall, some football players didn't perform as well. And then, you know, that became an issue of, you know, you're signing people before they even actually go out and play. And sometimes it had nothing to do with your performance and some were more charity based and some were more lucrative. And so we knew this was going to happen at what point, Linda, and then Ryan, if you could jump in, did you see that there needed to be a little bit more of a shape to this because it started to just sort of go a little bit everywhere? Yeah. I think that was really where the presidents found themselves is where is there, if there is, this line between NIL activity and tampering, involvement in recruiting, you know, some things that we are really still fundamental. The landscape of NIL, um, it's, it's up and down, right? You have your state laws, you have this interim guidance from the NCA. So there isn't, there aren't firm, consistent rules nationwide. We understand we're, we, that would be amazing. That's not where we are today. But there are some rules that are still really fundamental to what we do. And so I think once um, the NIL space really started to encroach on recruiting and prospects being involved in um, NIL deals before they got on campus, that these were really more about inducing a student to come to a school versus helping them capitalize on their NIL. I think that's where the president's really said, okay, some rules have changed, but not everything has changed. Let's go back take a look at what already exists. Can we give some guidance and make sure all of us, whether there's real confusion or um, convenient confusion, we're all operating under the same sense that um, coaches recruit um, and they're really the ones that should be the, the voice of the institution and in getting student athletes to um, sort of sign on and, and participate at their institution. And after that, NIL, um, you know, let's have at it, we're, we're open to it, but it really should not be um, how, in, how schools um, are attracting uh, prospects and how prospects are really making decisions about where they want to spend their college careers. So Ryan, let's not be naive. I mean, I know in the transfer portal space uh, in the last month, it has happened, um, you know, where coaches have told me that, you know, player X says, okay, I'm not even gonna talk to you unless I know there's an NIL deal that is six figures in some form or fashion. Um, how did we get to that point? And how, how, what was the recommendation to move away from that blatant sort of, um, you want me, you gotta pay me before I even step foot on campus? Yeah, Andy, that's a great point. I think um, Linda did a fantastic job of, of summing it up of, of, of where there is clear lines in the sand and where there is also some gray area. Um, and, and with what you just brought up in regards to the athletes, uh, communicating with their coaches and, and not so much demanding, but, but looking for more information and looking for ways that they can um, profit off of who they are as an athlete. The athlete is now in a position of extreme leverage and, and a really, really good position. However, um, we, we still want to make sure that all of our athletes are in the space where they can be protected for all of their deals that they are embarking upon, because the, these are, are, are pretty significant deals and pretty significant endeavors that are 
really life-changing to some of these athletes, but at the same time, um, we would like for all of them to be um, fully well-knowing and, and knowledgeable of, of every single deal that they get into. And to go back to your last question of, of when did things start to seem um, a little astray and a little off course of what we anticipated with NIL, frankly, I think it was from day one. It was from the very beginning. We weren't able to establish a federal law and federal legislation and, and policies and protocols for very unfortunate reasons. So um, it's, it's, it's difficult to navigate since then. And, and I think it is, is fantastic that Linda and, and her NIL working group have done such a fantastic job of providing this guidance. But um, in, in the world that I work in now with products and platforms, you always want to push out an MVP, a minimum viable product, not just a minimum product, but something that is viable, something that works, um, something that is well thought out and, and has uh, a collaborative feedback process to it. So there is not just something that you're, you're trying to get out there just to check a box. This, this is something that is changing the lives of athletes, and we want to make sure that we're doing it in the best way possible. So I want to clarify one thing, Linda, is that it's most of the time it's not the athlete asking for this NIL deal, but it is an agent. So what advice as now your campus hat, what are you telling your coaches, for example, at the University of Florida, of how to deal with that agent, that middle person who is now seeking compensation for their athlete before they even arrive on campus? Yeah, so, um, well, you mentioned uh, the world is much different than when you and I participated in, and this is one of those really big differences. And so I think the guidance on campus is, look, um, NIL is here to stay, let's embrace it, let's really support students in doing that. But as it relates to prospects, whether it's an agent, their club coach, high school coach, um, family member, runner, whatever the category, um, that those deals really need to wait until the student has committed to your institution, signed a national letter of intent, they are coming. And then here's this world of NIL. But whether it's an agent or anyone else, this bartering, um, you know, providing uh, access to your collective or your boosters in order to sort of incentivize students coming to your campus. That has always been illegal. It continues to be illegal. Um, we've really clarified that again, if, if there was any actual confusion. So we're going to be on the hook for institutions are going to be on the hook for the conduct of boosters always have been. So coaches, um, all of you, everyone that sort of works in this space, understand if you um, support and encourage this um, inducement and the recruiting um, involvement for boosters, we're going to be on the hook for that, um, like we always have. And that's a really dangerous space to be. So let's um, allow student athletes to select the colleges that they want to attend because they like the coaching staff and they like their teammates and they want that particular major and or and even the potential right the market potential that exists there but not because there's been some really direct um, open exchange of cash um, in order to attend that really um, is well out of the bounds i don't think anybody thinks that's a good place for us to be well and clearly there's still that there were differences between institutions especially within division one and that will be the case once you get on campus you know, a school in the SEC is not going to be the same as a school in the NEC. I mean, that's just, those are the facts, obviously, uh, with the, the money that comes in, certainly from television and everything else. Uh, so let's lay out, you know, one, one thing that, just so we understand certain words that I think sometimes get lost here, how would we define, uh, and I guess, Linda, you can take this first, 
how do we define a collective? Uh, right. So who knew that that there would be, you know, this next uh, entity and there will be others. Right. So a collective is really um, this group of supporters that has come together to finance and provide NIL opportunities for student athletes and in um, as their mission, what they do, that is that's a wonderful space to be right. This allows big donors, small donors, anyone that's a supporter to really get involved and have these help create NIL activities. Absolutely fair game, great place to be. Institutions with collectives, um, I think they feel there's a lot of value there. So that's a, that is a wonderful space to be. It's, it's really this um, activity with prospects for those in the transfer portal. That's really at least right now the focus of the guidance, not the work of the collective generally, but their involvement or boosters that are separate from a uh, collective, their involvement in the recruiting space. You know, Ryan, I remember when this was all being discussed, one of the things that was allegedly off limits, and I'm curious where this stands now, was that if School X is sponsored by, you know, Nike, Adidas, you name it, uh, you know, or Gatorade versus Powerade, or what have you, and yet the prospect says, oh, wait a minute, I got an opportunity to kind of deal with this other company that's a similar product. Um, where does that stand or where should it stand if it contradicts um, the university's uh, sponsor for a particular, you know, whether it's gear or liquid, you name it? Yeah, Andy, that, that's a really tough space because it, it is kind of a conflict of interest for the athlete and it, it, it puts them in a tough position to have to make a decision that kind of shows their cards and shows their allegiance. But at the same time, um, like we keep mentioning, we just simply don't want to limit the opportunities for the student athletes. So if school X is sponsored by brand X and brand Y comes in, then it's, it's very difficult for the athlete to have to make a decision and, and really turn away money and, and turn away something that they most definitely have earned and, and deserve based off of who they are as an athlete. So that's, it's, it's probably one of the most difficult dichotomies that name, image, and likeness has kind of burdened upon the athlete is having to be fully well-known, fully knowledgeable. And that's where education comes into this piece as well, is that on the campus level and at these institutions, um, we are really hoping that they're all taking advantage of the educational resources that are out there within the NIL landscape and the market uh, just so these athletes can know that every single deal that they are embarking upon resonates with who they are as an athlete and also the pieces of them. And I think that, you know, your brand at your school, it's almost a piece of you. And I think that brand loyalty is something that comes into play at times, but um, there's a lot of factors and a lot of variables that you need to consider before signing off on a deal. Linda, where does that stand on a campus when the campus is, you know, cut major deals? for all those kinds of items. And here comes a student athlete and saying, wait, wait, I can, I can profit personally off of a competing brand. Yeah, so that's actually the type of uh, problem that we anticipated when, we, um, when NIL you know, sort of came to be. This, the, where we find ourselves now, there's some things that we really didn't anticipate. But in that situation, I think you know, there's, there's some clear lines. Um, I, the uh, uniforms, things on the sidelines, you know, we've carved out this space um, that is team activity. And then there is individual and personal activity. And I think institutions have really come um, to grips with and understand, you know, if a student athlete is, if they wear their uniform and their team gear during team activities and in team spaces, um, that's one thing. And if they 
choose to have a deal with a competitor in their personal spaces, their personal time, their personal activities. Those are two separate things. Um, there's, you know, we, we all do that in our own, our own lives. We can manage that, we can figure it out. Is it ideal? Probably not. Um, at the same time, um, you allow the student athlete to capitalize in a way that they feel um, good about and is supportive of what they want to do. But the institution hangs on to the things that they're doing. Again, fielding teams, um, having a consistent brand, um, again, I think we we can figure out how to operate in that landscape. I, I hear less about that than um, this overall uh, separate deals in recruiting and just this trans cash transactions really um, for attendance and for the opportunity to transfer. Well, and clearly, you know the deal when you go to School X, yeah. that they're sponsored by this brand. And so you've sort of accepted that in that agreement when you sign your NIL. You know, the one thing going back that, uh, and I'm curious if more student athletes don't do this in the future, Ryan, that I never understood that I thought was sort of low hanging fruit, easy to, to do, and, and, and just never got past was, for example, you know, uh, my daughter's a college student at Northwestern, she's in theater. And if she wanted to come back to our hometown and, you know, teach voice lessons and do acting classes and say that she went to Northwestern, that was allowed. But you as a football player, if you went back to your hometown and you wanted to do, you know, uh, a tackling clinic uh, as Rutgers, Ryan Cassidy, you couldn't uh, profit off of the fact that you play football at Ryan. That was an easy thing, you know, in the off season, the summer and things like that. How much, in what way do you think student athletes will finally capitalize on something that was so basic that other students on campus could have done? Andy, that has been in the minds of athletes for years and years and years. And it goes back to the first point that I made that name, image, and likeness and, and this, this era of NIL is way outdated because there have been athletes for years since the beginning of the NCAA that have been passionate about things and they haven't been able to follow their passion and create brands uh, You know, when it comes to things that people are involved in externally outside of their collegiate athlete experience, their musicians, their um, they're bakers, they're engineers, there's so many different fields and so many different industries that athletes are involved in. And in recent years in history and forever in the past, they haven't been able to really make money off of it, just like your daughter is able to, just like every other regular collegiate student has been able to. So um, th th this is, like I said earlier, a, a basic human right that we're, we're now able to um, follow those passions and, and those external interests that all of us have had for so long um, and, and start to really dig deeper because sport only lasts so long and, and it's fantastic all the opportunities that some, some athletes can get at the professional level. But the sooner that we are able to realize what we're passionate about and the sooner that we're able to embark upon um, different endeavors that, that are aligning with our, our passions in industry XYZ, I think the sooner that we're going to be able to really integrate and, you know, transform into um, adults and transform into our career in, in a really seamless transition. You know, Linda, I think that's a great example of just giving back to the community. And obviously, you want to maybe get some sort of compensation. But, uh, you know, I'll be curious, like, you know, on the campus that you work, you know, if, if those student athletes will end up doing those basic things when they go back to their hometown of, of benefiting off, hey, I'm a college athlete, why don't I give back? To my local community and it's okay that it says that i go and play at florida right and i do think you're seeing a lot more of that um whether it's in their campus community their hometown 
is, um, okay, now I have the ability to give lessons or to make an appearance at um, a charitable event or again, to, as, as Ryan said, sort of pursue your passions here. It, it was low hanging fruit, Andy, you were 100% correct. And um, we, I think there's a acknowledgement that um, we collectively, the member schools of the NCA acted way too slow um, in trying to uh, allow student athletes this privilege, this right to capitalize on their name, image and likeness. We were, we avoided um, dealing with some of the really low hanging fruit. This is a great example. You wanna give camps, clinics, um, contribute to your community. There should never have been barriers. And now we've, we've rectified that and hopefully lots of um, student athletes will take advantage of that. All right, so the next phase, unfortunately is enforcement. Um, what, what did the task force give in terms of guidance to the board of governors uh, in terms of you know how this can be enforced retroactively uh, if it is abused in terms of a recruiting inducement and going forward? Yeah, so the, the president's really focused on um, a go forward uh, approach unless um, there's just something so egregious that um, enforcement should take a look at uh, previous conduct. And so um, the enforcement staff, I think what we've done is at least outline, um, we're all now on the same page. If there was confusion around booster involvement in recruiting, whether that's collectives or individuals or however, um, it really, really, is um, not uh, consistent with NCA rules and enforcement um, now go out and um, address the issues that have been brought to you in a way hopefully that is um, quick and efficient and really gets to the heart of some of the most um, egregious behavior. And then campuses from an enforcement standpoint, if you have been operating in a way that's probably um, more in the gray uh, as it involves uh, getting collectives and boosters involved in the recruiting process, A, um, that's probably time to rethink that strategy. And two, um, it's time to write yourself, right? So um, having collectives and boosters involved with students um, while they're on their official visits, that's probably a strategy you wanna rethink. Um, it's not in line with, um, you know, current NCA rules. So there's an opportunity to get yourself right because there was some confusion perhaps. And then going forward enforcement, um, it's time, right? So let's go do the things, um, make the statements, pursue those really um, egregious sort of interference and tampering and recruiting involvement. And hopefully then we can, as, as long as the landscape continues to be unsettled, we'll at least have this part settled as it relates to the recruiting involvement. Ryan, how do you educate fellow students, especially those that are in college now. So, because it's much more, I think about the transfer portal than it is necessarily high school kids coming through, um, that this short-term potential windfall, you know, long-term is not gonna work out if it's a recruiting inducement. It almost never does before this, during, they always get caught at some point in time. Um, so how do you educate those students to shy away from that recruiting inducement NIL, for lack of a better term. Yeah, Andy, really great question. And, and you know, I'm uh, big on analogies and I love framing things in ways that everyone can fully comprehend and understand. And in regards to NIL, I like to think about the landscape and the market almost like a train station. And being from the North, Northeast, let's call it Penn Station. And while we talk about and consider the, the quote unquote guardrails that Linda and her very diligent group have so eloquently and urgently addressed, I think we also do need to consider moving forward. Is it just guardrails that we need? How can we comprehend those guardrails? Do we need more? 
Do we need a massive cinder block wall or steel tunnels surrounding these trains so that they can be protected? And I think we most definitely do. And trains also need two more things. They need a destination and they need passengers. The destination is quite simply very clear. It's a, a prosperous, regulated, inclusive landscape and environment for student athletes to profit off of their earned and deserved NIL. And the passengers are those student athletes. And as a passenger, you need every bit and every ounce of information possible on those trains. So you know where to get off at in your journey and you know where to go. And to take it a step further, further as the athlete and as the passenger, let's, let's say that every NIL deal is a new stop on your journey. You're going to need to know how to navigate that particular stop or loca location which is where education comes into play and, and educating on the rules and, and all of these different protocols that we do need to follow um, recruiting wise, non-recruiting wise, because that comes into the picture for not just the athletes to be fully informed, but also any other individuals involved. So there is not any gray area and it is, it is very clear cut what you can and cannot do. And the conductor of these trains must collectively be the people across the country and especially within the association, athletes included, that know, understand, and have addressed all of the needs of the athletes working in this current unregulated market in its entirety, just so all of us are, are fully informed, fully well-knowledged, and are fully well-knowing and knowledgeable of, of everything in the NIL regard. Last thing, Ryan, then Linda, you can give the last word. Uh, the big fear with all of this a year ago was the locker room, for lack of a better term. Um, how would it play if player X was getting 10,000, 100,000, you name it, more than that, and player Y was getting Zippo or barely anything? Have not heard publicly of tons of jealousy. jealousy. At least it hasn't come to the public light. Maybe it happens. I don't know. What are your thoughts one year in to that topic, Ryan, about the – imbalance which is part of the capitalist system of uh of who gets what yeah that, that that's a really good question andy and that was a huge concern going into it and to play athletes advocate and not devil's advocate it was scary and especially as a football player i think if the star quarterback has a significant amount of nal deals and the right tackle or the left tackle who's protecting his blind side doesn't have any nal deals Maybe there is jealousy that comes into play. And he says, yep, I'm going to take this play off. And unfortunately, the quarterback ends up getting injured on that play. And that's obviously the, the most extreme of situations. But Andy, when it comes to the locker room, man, we all just want the best for each other. And that is the really, really cool part about being on a team, and especially within Division One, um, competing at the highest level. And uh, across all divisions, Divisions One, Two, and 3, it's all about the team, the team, the team. All we want to do is, is see each other succeed, see each other follow our passions and profit off of our NIL in the spaces that we're really passionate about. Um, and I, I think, like you said, that there hasn't been very many negative repercussions in, in the athlete space and in the locker room space. So I think that this is going to continue to be a, a really prosperous opportunity for every athlete that decides to embark, embark upon NIL opportunities. Linda, you get the last word. I love the last word. Um, so I'm going to agree with Ryan, and I don't think that um, to date we've seen, you know, this real problem in the locker room. Um, but I'm going to go back and just one last plug for sort of this guidance is that um, I think part of the reason you haven't seen this conflict and jealousy is because these are legitimate NIL deals that student athletes are able to secure based on um, their reputation, their image, all of those things. When you have um, boosters being involved in sort of 
putting kids in the locker room for a certain amount of money or institutions overly involved in that way, um, I think then you're going to have a, a, a greater issue because that's an outside influence. That's not a legitimate NIL deal. That's really someone um, paying to have this person sort of as part of the team. I think teams will respond very differently to that. Now, um, right now, everything is great. You're right. People want what's best for each other. They're very supportive. And I think legitimate NIL deals, everyone's on board. It's this other factor when you involve others and they aren't legitimate deals. I think you're going to end up with more problems in the locker room. Nobody wants to see that. Um, I just think that might be the unfortunate outcome. Well, great work, obviously, uh, by your team, led by you, Linda. Uh, and Ryan, your input uh, as a leading voice in the student athlete voice, both a past and present. Uh, as always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series where all our social series are archived. We know this topic is not going away and it's still evolving, uh, but the guardrails are coming up and hopefully they will stay up for the foreseeable future. Thanks for watching everyone.